sometimes it's not about our intent or our desire to do something, but really it comes down sometimes just to access. Today, we talk about just that issue on such an important topic. Join me. All right, welcome back to the Get Over Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Fasano. Before we begin, I just want to mention to everyone out there, the easiest way to receive new episodes of this podcast is to subscribe on your favorite pod player, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you, you know, Spotify. You can watch these episodes if you prefer on YouTube, but give a subscribe. New episodes will automatically download to your phone. If you're really enjoying the show, please be kind and leave us a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That'll really help for other people to find our show and to continue to listen. And now let's get on to our guest for a new episode of the Get Over It Podcast. Our guest today is Amy Klein. Amy is the CEO of Capital Roots, a not-for-profit that works to reduce the impact of poor nutrition on public health. Such an important topic, always has been, always will be, but I I was just talking to her about it quickly, especially coming out of this post-pandemic life. And we're gonna talk about that today. They offer a wide variety of programs that we're gonna get into a bit. And we're gonna talk about their journey. She just mentioned to me, it's her 25th year, 25th year with the organization. So we're gonna talk to her about that. Um, So Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, glad to be here. All right, so Capital Roots, why don't we start with that? I think we're, you know, we are in the Capital Region. We're in Albany recording this right now. So I think a lot of people locally have heard of Capital Roots, maybe know about it. Maybe some people don't. So get ever, let's get everyone on the same page. So introduce yourself in the context of, of, of you know, Capital Roots, what they do, what's their mission. Let's start, start with that. Sure. Uh, Capital Roots is a Uh, regional organization. We serve Albany, Rensselaer, Schenectady, and Saratoga counties, and we've been doing that since 1975. And uh, our work focuses around uh, creating healthy communities, um, both physically and for the individual person, and uh, giving people the opportunity to lead healthier lives through fresh, healthy food access. Um, we really uh, believe and we know that people want to eat well, but there are many obstacles uh, to be able to do that. And um, since the inception of the organization, we have really focused on trying to create opportunities for people um, to access fresh, healthy food in a dignified way, whether it's through our community gardening program so people can grow their own food, or our mobile markets, the veggie mobiles, and people can buy top quality food at about half the cost of what they could buy it for in the supermarkets, but in their own neighborhood using their SNAP benefits, their food stamps. And so it's really all about quality, access, dignity, and uh, nutrition. So you said you've been with the organization for 25 years. So take me back to that, you know, 25 years ago. What, what about it? Why, why did you join? Was it, did you, did you, was this something that you had a passion for then? Or is it, you were just looking, you know, or is it, was it, was it, you were just looking at the job and thought it was interesting. Talk to me a little bit about how you, you got into, into this world. Yeah, so um, I've always worked in the nonprofit field. I uh, started working at the national level in um, civil liberties organizations, and then I moved to the Albany area, and I worked at the statewide level for environmental organization. And uh, when this opportunity presented itself, uh, this 
would be the first time I'd be working at the local level. Uh, so, you know, sort of coming down. So real down. macro, micro, micro, micro. Yeah. Exactly. Um, very small organization at the time. It was just a uh, two-staff person uh, operation, uh, including myself. And um, the organization was basically making a decision whether to hire a new executive director or to close up shop. Um, the organization was really struggling. It had a $60,000 budget. Um, it it was really at a turning point. And, um, and what was its focus right. then that in a smaller place? I imagine it didn't have such a range of, uh, of, of programs as it does now. So what was its real primary uh, program? And when you got in there, what did it look like? It was a community gardening organization. Okay. We operated 13 community gardens um, in Troy uh, primarily. And um, we also did uh, urban tree planting so it was very focused on, um, you know, we started out as a community gardening organization and that was the focus. And then we also did, you know, um, community improvement through uh, tree planting. But I saw this as, um, I saw it as a great opportunity. I thought the organization has no place to go but up. Right. And uh, I've always loved gardening. Uh, my, I learned from my grandmother and that was a passion of mine. And I just saw it as a way to dig in and, and really uh, put my shoulder to something and, um, you know, help the community uh, build on what had been done uh, previously. The organization had been around for, um, you know, decades, and um, it seemed like a great opportunity to, to build on that. So take me into that decision there because I'm a, you know, I'm a growth guy. I, I, I like to get into businesses, assess, look at things and ask the question, how are we going to grow this thing and where are we going to take it and where is it going to go? So you're coming into a situation, like you said, where it was either they could close up shop or they could bring you or a person in. And I presume then in that regard, um, it, it, you're sort of at your, your, that moment where you're like, Okay, if it's gonna if it's gonna work, if this thing's going, it's going now, and it's gonna go soon. So, how do you assess that? And what what did you do there? Did you you know you looked at the community gardens? You thought, okay, this is great, but you obviously saw beyond that. You obviously were thinking beyond just that. You had to in order to get to where you are. So, how do you from someone who always gets so like, let's do this, let's do that? You know, and all these ideas. Huh. How did you how did you approach that? And what did you say? Did you shore up what you did well in the gardens first and get that to it? Or did you immediately start to think about how to roll out new ideas? Tell me a little about the operational process there. Yeah, well, really, the first thing was um, getting the operational side of the organization in a, on solid footing. Um, there, there, we really needed a lot of basic operations. I mean, we had a donor base on... Um, you know, cards, uh, on index cards. We had our um, financials on paper. Um, you know, we, uh, my favorite story to tell is we didn't have lights. And um, I started in December. And so uh, my first day or two, we had to close the office at like 4.30 because it was dark. And um, I was like, this is insane. So I went to Huck Finn's and bought some lamps. Some lamps. Yeah. <laughs> check, you know. check the first checkbox. Get yeah. lamps, get light. So, you know, it was sort of building some of that just basic capacity for the organization. 
Um, the other thing was we were a big secret. And, you know, even today, there are so many people that don't know about this organization. But I really set out to help raise the profile of the organization. Um, and we did something crazy the first year. We um, created a um, street festival um, that we um, put together in a matter of months and promoted it all over the region. And it was a way to help raise awareness about the organization. So Community Garden, I wanna talk about that just for a second, and then I wanna just move into some of the other programs. Community Garden in the regard, in regard of green, you know, building more green areas, also providing a sustainable way to get, you know, good, healthy greens and, and food, teaching people how to do that, uh, putting something back into the neighborhood or to community. Was it all, it's, it's all of those things, correct? There's not, it's not really, it's obviously there's a, there's a purpose for nutrition with a garden, but there's other aspects to community gardening that I think that, that come through. So talk about that as it's underpinning of what, what a community garden does beyond just provide the nutrition. Yeah, I mean, community gardens are about so much more than the food that you grow. I mean, obviously, people are growing food that's supporting their families. People can grow about $1,500 worth of fresh food in a growing season. But, you know, we saw marriages happened in the community gardens. We had funerals in community gardens. Um, you know, there, was, there were relationships that were built across uh, cultural and socioeconomic um, lines, that, you know, people meeting that literally would never have had, mm -hmm. you know, an opportunity to connect and uh, neighborhood watches were formed. Um, so the community gardens really uh, provide an incredible asset to the greater community beyond just what happens inside the fences of the mm -hmm. gardens and the growing of the food. Um, and really, the programs that we built out over the years were based on what we saw happening in terms of people putting in the hard work of gardening to grow food for themselves and their families and realizing and knowing that people were working so hard to be able to grow their own top quality, nutritious food. And while at the same time, there was you know, the conversation in the sort of political realm and the social services realm and the emergency feeding realm was all about how low-income people, you know, uh, did not want to eat fresh food. They, you know, you had to teach them how to eat fresh food. They're, you know, um, really treating people as other. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we knew that wasn't true because people were, working really hard to grow their right, own food. Right, and You saw it. You saw them really, yes. right, yeah. So what we what we knew was people just needed more opportunities to access it um, beyond just the community gardens. Because even as we were building more and more gardens over the years in more and more areas of the region, um, you know, we could never, A, meet the demand uh, for gardening space, but moreover, not everybody's going to garden. It's an unrealistic Correct. expectation. Uh, it's not for everybody. And um, you have to provide other mechanisms for people to access, you know, good food. And that's how 
our initiatives began. And talk talk to me a little about some of those initiatives. So you recognize that. So, you know, you, you, it's not that people don't want it. That's not it at all. So then that spurs the next set of initiatives to say, you know, not everybody can garden, but people would like to, the fruits of those gardens, they just can't necessarily get to it and access it or, and or afford it or understand what to do with it. So what are your next steps? Like talk to me a little about some of the programs that you that you that you developed over time to sort of accomplish and meet those goals. So the next program we created was called Squash Hunger. Um, and it was really aimed at bringing quality food into the emergency feeding programs, uh, food pantries, soup kitchens. At the time when we created the Squash Hunger program back in 2004, um, food pantries uh, were not distributing fruits and vegetables at all. Hmm. And I know that seems kind of crazy now, um, which is great to say, but at the time that was the case. And so, you know, again, based on what we knew, we knew people wanted fruits and vegetables. Can I and- ask why that is? Is there, was there a sourcing issue? Is it too difficult? Is it, is it just not, it was just not being done. Yeah, it was not being done. There was a lot of mis, you know, it was really a lot of misconception on the part of the providers. Okay. Um, that again, you know, people did not want it, and mm-hmm. you know, there were some obstacles uh, in terms of refrigeration and things like that. But it was mostly a lack of understanding uh, about what people wanted. Okay. And um, that was a huge barrier to get over. Um, You know, I I think one of the greatest things uh, is that, you know, a couple of decades later, that's not a conversation anymore, right? Like people, everyone understands that everyone wants to eat food. Um, It's just an access issue. But 20 years ago, that was not the case. So, you know, we really set about to try to infuse more good food into emergency feeding programs. And um, that's what our Squash Hunger program was about. We were gleaning um, food from fields, um, from farm fields when there was excess. We were uh, reaching out to home gardeners and uh, collecting from home gardeners and doing direct deliveries to uh, emergency feeding programs, and we used a network of volunteers. And that program re- exists and and operates the same way. It's just grown tremendously over the years, mm-hmm. and so we still tap into our farm connections and our, you know, partners in that way to be able to rescue quality food and redistribute it through the emergency food programs. I, I was going to say, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, this, there's a demand side, the, the people that want this food, and then there, so there's, there's that, and then there's f- having the places where people can find and get access to those foods. But there's also a production side. You mentioned farmers. So I'm wondering, you know, how's that relationship grown with your organization and farms and local farms? Because I, I, I read a lot about farmers through this, especially in the last five years and going through all of this. I can only imagine, you know, a life of a farmer and that uncertainty that exists nowadays, it's up and down. Talk to me a little about the relationship with farmers and how they've benefited or, or sort of helped in both ways in, with your efforts at Capital Roots. Well, we have a really unique relationship uh, with the agricultural community because all of the programs that we have developed um, since the you know mid 2000s 
have been based on uh, Capital Roots purchasing food from local producers. Um, so we are a customer mm-hmm. of our local farmers, and we we really focus on uber local purchasing. So we are buying from farms in our 11 county food shed, um, you know, which means we're buying, you know, in Warren, Washington County, Schoharie, Green, you know, not just our four county region, but the the 11 county food shed. But but it is absolutely our region that we are buying from. And what that means is that we're supporting the local farm economy where uh, those dollars spin around in our local economy because when you support a local farmer, their money stays local. So it's it's really investing uh, resources back into the community. So because we have these relationships, these customer relationships where mm-hmm. we're the customer, um, you know, we have a unique ability to um, have a sort of mutually beneficial relationship with our farm partners um, where we're purchasing from them. And then if they have gleaning opportunities, they welcome us onto their farm where our volunteers can glean excess um, or if they have excess that they've picked, um, maybe we'll purchase it from them instead of them having to give it give away. It away. So right. Yep. So, you know, we, that's a really uh, unique aspect of our organization. I want to talk about the sort of, you know, equality and being equitable in, in food and access. We talked about a little bit before we started and the way I was presenting it was, you know, I, I'm seeing, you know, a lot of these, there's a lot of people out there after the pandemic and they're trying to fight these political narratives or whatever they're saying, but they're saying, just be healthy. You know, their conclusion is be healthy and you'll be fine. Eat your, take your vitamins and eat your organic, eat your greens and do all of this stuff and you're going to be just fine. And I always say to myself, sure, it's very easy to say, but it's not that simple for everybody out there. Not everybody can just go and go to their store and buy organic groceries and fresh greens. It's just not that simple. It's not equitable. And, you know, I was doing some research before I was going to have you come on, and I was looking at this concept of these food deserts, which is a term that, like, I've, I've read, but I, I actually didn't really know is a true term, actually, and a real thing. So can you talk a little bit about that and this sort of inequality in access to food? Because I'm, I'm sure it's a driver of your organization and that problem to solve. And I don't know if people really, truly, you know, whenever people have things, I'm just trying to teach my son this all the time, there's a lot of people for, you know, for everything you have, there are more people that don't have what you have. And so like, I think we get lost in that and going into the, going to price chopper, going to a, a, a farm and grabbing some greens seems very simple. And how many times people walk right past it and don't pick them up, but people don't have that ability. Uh, a lot of people. So can you talk a little bit about the inequality and what's equitable in food? Absolutely. I mean, uh, this this was really the turning point for our organization and and the you know um, where we got into greater food access work. So in the mid two thousands, um, we started seeing um, supermarkets leaving the communities that we worked in, and this was before actually the the term food desert was coined by the USDA, and 
you know, what we saw was people were having less and less access to quality food because they didn't have access to a full service market in their community. Um, many people who live in urban areas do not have cars. Um, the statistics are there and mm-hmm. um, that that is undisputed despite a lot of dispute. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, people rely on public transportation um, but, you know, public transportation uh, creates limitations. Uh, first of all, you know, um, you can only carry so many bags. Exactly. Yep. Um, you're only going to go so often. Um, if you take a cab, cabs charge bag fees. There, there are a lot of complications. And so, you know, what we were seeing was that people were having very limited access to fresh food because they might go to a big box store and go once a month to stock up on the things they need, but you're not going to stock up on fresh produce because that's not going to last. Correct. Right. And so that's why we created the Veggie Mobile, which was the first mobile produce market in the country. We created the such model. a cool concept, by the way. It's such a cool idea. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the idea was to bring um, the, you know, a produce aisle on wheels into the communities that don't have access to a market, uh, provide the produce at um, half the cost of what you could buy it for in the supermarket. So whatever we buy it for is what we sell it for. We don't make money off of the produce. Make sure it's top quality. This is not seconds. This is not less than. This is as if you went to a farmer's market. You know, we want people to have the best and, you know, ensure they can use all their benefit programs. So making that access full and true and give people the dignity of shopping for their food. Right. Which is what everybody wants. Because they do do. want it. Again, to knock that down. It's like we keep saying. It's the, I, I think it's amazing that people still feel that way, that, nah. Just they don't want it, which is not true. I'm sure it's not true. Or that, you know, just because somebody has limited means or, um, you know, is struggling that, you know, they should be grateful to get a bag of whatever (laughs) and, you know, be happy for that. Um, Why shouldn't they be able to pick what they want, what's culturally appropriate um, you know, all of those things. And, you know, our society for the longest time has been uh, really focused on, you know, just be grateful that you're getting something. And that's that's certainly not equity. No. Um, that's certainly not dignity. That is not taking into consideration any culturally appropriate aspect of, you know, the communities that we're, you know, living in. Um, and so those are the things that we really try to focus on. And, you know, after we created the Veggie Mobile, which was a huge success, the, the moment we put it on the road, we really set about to create additional programs to provide that alternative retail access for the communities that we serve, you know, top quality food, low cost in the neighborhoods where people can purchase, you know, with their choice of what they want, with dignity, using their benefit programs. And, you know, that's been uh, a major focus and major trajectory for the organization, um, 
since the, the mid 2000s. You know, it reminds me of, so have family in Italy, in small town Italy. And when we go visit, um, they live by produce market, like farm stops, like, you know, in the, in the town square. And at 6 a.m., there's a guy on a megaphone driving through the streets and a little on a fruit truck or on a truck and he's yelling for, you know, apples and pears and greens and he's screaming at the top of his lungs and people are going out in the morning and they're buying their stuff off of a truck coming in through the streets. And it's funny because, you know, the first time I remember that, I remember being woken up by it, like, what the, what is that? <laughs> and I remember, you know, as the American saying like, this is crazy, like, what, what are they doing? And, you know, when in talking to some people, they're like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like some people just can't get to the store and some people just can't get even to the town in the middle there's not as you know they don't have public transportation like we have and a lot of them don't have cars they have to walk or it's really hot and they can't get there so they've come up with ways to bring that because food and nutrition is so a part of their life that they would never fathom the idea that just because you can't come to us that you will not be you not you won't be able to get this food. So we are going to bring it to you. We are going to come out to you. And it, it, it reminds me of that in this way. It's just in America, sometimes we lose sight of that. You know, we, we were just so stuck in our own way um, that we don't think about those people that just can't do it, can't get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we get wrapped up in our own privilege. And, you know, this is something when we, when we first started our food access work, you know, nobody was talking about food deserts. Uh, as I said, it wasn't even a, a term that was um, was used. And, you know, it was, people really did not understand the whole concept of, you know, why people couldn't go to supermarkets. Well, I don't understand. You know, what do you mean you, there, you can't go to a supermarket? Right. Um, and, um, you know, trying to get people to understand the challenge that we were talking about, uh, you know, how how privileged we are to be able to hop in a car and go to the many supermarkets that Correct. exist. But, you know, if you look around the urban spaces, you look around the neighborhoods that they're, they don't exist, you know, groceries do not exist. And, you know, one of the other initiatives that we developed is our healthy stores program where we're working with small corner stores to bring in healthy food, bring in uh, fresh produce, because those are places, these small convenience stores right, that, they that can people get to. do frequent. Yep. And so building out the capacity of those small businesses uh, to better provide for the community is another way. But, you know, really focusing on that retail access for the communities as opposed to giving away food, which doesn't solve any problem. It, you know, that's, that doesn't lead to true food security for people. It's just putting a bandaid on a problem. For the, so for the, for the last little bit here, I want to talk about uh, the pandemic, how it affected the organization, challenges possibly you faced, and also opportunities that it created for you. I mean, do you feel that, you know, so we could start with that. And then I want to, I want to ask you if you feel like um, coming out of this or during pandemic or now we're, I don't know where we are in the world of the pandemic, it's up and it's down. But, you know, ha, ha, have you seen uh, some sort of a different focus on nutrition in some regard or, or in health? Like, so, so first, let's start with when it hit, you know, what, 
what happened with you guys? Did you, you know, how did that switch? What are some challenges? And then how did you pivot and anything new pop up or new that was done during this, this crazy time? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, because we are an organization that um, is mobile and we go into the communities that we serve, we were already uniquely situated to, you know, provide service uh, during the pandemic. So, you know, what we had to do was uh, sort of reinforce our mobile services, you know, like the Veggie Mobile, to um, ensure for the health and safety of our staff and our volunteers and our consumers. But we, we, never, we never stopped our services. We never left our offices. Everybody, you know, we were all frontline service workers and we all worked uh, and continue to work um, from, you know, our base of operations. And that included everyone, myself included. If you weren't uh, doing frontline service work, you were. <laughs> so people who were doing, you know, were in finance or marketing, they were doing frontline service work. And, um, you know, what we did was we, you know, doubled and in some cases tripled the number of people that mm. we had going out on the mobile markets and providing other services because both for the volume of customers, but also um, to take extra precautions um, in terms of how we were serving our customers and to move things quickly so people didn't have to be exposed. What, what about the supply side? Did you face challenges there or did that maintain, you know, with farming and things like that, were you still able to access, you had the food that you needed? We absolutely did. And that just tells you how important local food is. Yeah, really. You know, the supply train issues were not about local food. Um, we, you know, we did not have a problem accessing food at all. And, um, you know, that was another reason why, um, you know, I think our use of services was um, dramatically increased is, you know, we had plenty of food. Um, so, you know, the, the big burden for us was, you know, the increase that we saw, the, you know, we sent our volunteers home. Most of our volunteers are older and we didn't want to risk their exposure. Um, so we had to double and triple up on staff. And, you know, that was, that was very difficult. And, and the other thing was just being frontline service workers during a very scary and unknown time. Most people's families and colleagues and friends were um, working from home and none of our staff mm -hmm. were. And um, that was very challenging for people, um, you know, to, to be doing frontline work um, and exposing themselves and not knowing what that meant. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, also just draining, very draining. I imagine so. It's it's very really interesting point that you that you that you brought up that you know you, you, people see all this craziness in grocery stores through the pandemic you know shelves bare um, not there's food is gone and things are gone um, and like you said supply chain issues but if you bring it back to the local aspect there was plenty there so like you know again people aren't thinking about that part they tend to not think about the local aspect of what's going on. Um, I want to just uh, uh, along these lines of equitable, I think it, through the pandemic for me, I really 
you know, I, I host another podcast on mental health and we see a lot of it, a lot of, a lot of issues there through the pandemic. And it related back to this equitable, this equitable concept of how things that got uh, brought out. I want to talk to you about uh, just education around nutrition in general um, and things like that. Um, you know, I think one of the, one of the statistics I was reading was that um, for people that unfortunately who, who with COVID had, had passed, um, a, a good majority were sick in some regard. They were struggling with obesity and diabetes was a major, a major problem. And I know diabetes is a major, you know, is a lot of times depending on which diabetes you have as a function of your ability to, to eat well and nutritious and also with your weight. And again, I think it always, I think you, you, can, you can look at that and there are people that'll say, yeah, but you have to be healthy. But again, it's not that simple because you have to take it back to socioeconomics and it all matters where you're from. And if you're not equitable and you don't have access Access and you've been you've, you've you've been like sort of a certain way. It's just a feed forward problem that just keeps happening and happening, and then it gets into the kids and it happens. So I'm just curious to know how your organization looks at that problem um, in terms of you know uh, educating and even in particular. My, my question is related to kids. Do you do you have some things with schools and what are you doing in that regard to just talk about general nutrition and that yes you can be healthy and yes you can have access. So talk to me a little bit about that because I think that really really matters. It's not just about being, you know, healthy. It's about understanding what that means and that it's possible. Um, we do um, nutrition education for young people. Um, we have a program called the Taste Good Series that is in um, elementary schools. But the one thing I will say is it it's, um, it's really a misnomer to think that people um, need to be educated about how to eat well. Um, I, I really encourage people to think about others as themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I need to be educated. <laughs> um, you know, everybody should be want to be educated. Yeah, <laughs> everybody could be better educated. The, the real difference is the inequitable access because of you know physical lack of physical access and cost that is the holdup that's the problem that's the barrier it is not that people don't know um, we did focus groups um, and you know this has been echoed time and time again people know how to cook good food they just lack mm -hmm. the access to it they lack the resources they also might lack the pots and pans and a working stove so we really, as a society, need mm. to understand how to allocate our resources to help people truly gain equitable access to quality food. And you know, one of the things that um, funders and government agencies put a lot of resources into is this concept that people, you know, again, if you're low income, um, if you're on food stamps, you need to be educated about how to eat well. There's, there's a government program that literally teaches people how to walk through the supermarket and shop. <laughs> that is absurd. You know, people do so not. I bet you it's insulting, right? To people that are just like, this it's is not, this is, this is not my problem. I know how to, I know how to shop for food. Exactly. I just can't get here or I don't have access to it. Right. Right. Exactly. So that's what we need as a society to be investing our time and resources into. How do we help people, you know, gain better retail access to quality food? 
um, you know, there, there was a lot of um, effort that happened during the pandemic with increasing uh, SNAP benefits, full, full uh, allocation of SNAP benefits, which there's been um, since the pen, you know, since the, the, the pandemic started, there's um, an increase in SNAP benefits that goes a, a mm-hmm. long way to helping people who are under-resourced gain access to quality food. Those are the things that we need to be putting our energy into. So I want, before we close, talk to me a little bit about some challenges you still face. You know, as you look ahead now, you know, you're, you're, you're 25 years, you've, you've accomplished everything that you've gotten to. You're, you're, you've highlighted for me, um, you've reinforcing for me and I hope for others, this, this, this concept, this notion that it's not about what you said. It's not about this idea that people don't want it. It's just really about them being able to get it and access it and these sorts of things, which is a major sort of underpin to the whole problem. So, so it's, it's talking about that. But as you continue to look forward and grow, what are some challenges that you're facing right now as you see them in the future with this? And what are, what are some of your plans in Quitsalus as we say, get over it? How are you going to look to solve them? And, and just talk a little bit about where, where the plans are in five years from now, where you want to get to. I mean, the the next thing that we're focusing heavily on is using the retail infrastructure that exists in our communities, these small corner stores, and figuring out how to shore them up, um, both financially and physically, to be able to provide better for the communities um, to provide, you know, a, a real full array of quality product. Um, these are small businesses that need the help of our communities, so we should be investing in them, and they serve the communities that we want to serve. Um, if we invested half the money that we, as a society, um, invest in emergency food, which is a Band-Aid and mm-hmm. is not a solution to true food security, we would have a solution to food security. Um, so, you know, that is, that is where we are going to be putting effort as an organization. And, you know, the challenge is really getting, um, you know, funders to be thinking, to shift their thinking. It took a long time to, for people to shift their thinking and understand that people wanted to eat good food. (laughs) So, um, you know, well, especially if there's government initiatives out there that are not saying or saying the exact opposite, right? I got to imagine if you're fighting that battle, that's a tough battle to fight. You really got to fight through that messaging. Yeah. And, you know, the messaging is deep. It, it, you know, it, it permeates the people with the resources, but I believe that, you know, continuing to put that message out there will have an impact. And ultimately we will be able to, uh, create these solutions um, that will provide for real and true food security for our communities. Have the locals, have like the, the, the box, the supermarkets, do you work with them? Are they receptive to this concept? I mean, you don't have to get it. I mean, I don't know if it's like a touchy thing to talk about, but I, are they are they open to this? I mean, they, I would imagine they have a lot of, I don't want to use the word wasted, but I imagine they have a lot of stuff. Um, do you, do you, what is that relationship like? Is there one, is it, is it getting there and how has that been? 
Um, yeah, we work with some of the local sur- supermarkets. You know, I think some view us as competition, which of course we're not. Right. Um, you know, we're serving areas that they that long they probably ago won't left. have. Right. Exactly. Yep. Um, and um, so I think again, it's really education, and you know, for them, I mean, that's where the education is needed, right? It's not for the low-income people. Right. It's really for the people of privilege right. to understand what is needed and, um, you know, how to support the community best. Okay. All right. Um, so would you want, like, before we close, let people know where they can go to find out more information about Capital Roots, if they want to read more, if they're possibly thinking about making a donation or or something like that. So where can they go find some more information? Absolutely. People can check out our website, capitalroots.org. We've, you know, got a lot of great information on our programs. Um, we're very active on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can check us out. We've got stuff up on our YouTube channel. So capitalroots.org. Um, can people get involved with the community gardens still? Like, how does that work? Is, is it? Absolutely. Yep. So, you know, uh, we're doing actually our returning gardener signups right now, which means if you were a gardener last year, uh, we're signing up those gardeners, but in March we'll be inviting new gardeners uh, to participate. And so plots that are available, uh, new gardeners will have an opportunity to sign up for those and there will be plots available. Um, and there are also lots of volunteer opportunities. So you don't have to be a gardener to get your hands dirty. Uh, we have our urban farm where uh, we do our youth um, training program. It's a year round job and life skill training program on our two and a half acre uh, urban farm. Uh, Lots of ways to get involved with that. Lots of ways to help with the gardens, uh, even not as a gardener and uh, to help with our food access programs, work in our food hub. Um, Many ways to get your hands dirty or not get your hands dirty. This is a place where you can actually literally get your hands dirty actually and make make a difference. So um, I just wanna thank you and I wanna thank Amy for, for taking the time today. Uh, on this episode of the Get Over It podcast, um, it I I really I've been really thinking about this concept of it, you know inequality and equitability in this, especially coming out of this pandemic. And I, I say this to a lot of guests that I've had on the show, like you know I have one I have one child, a nine year old, and I really want him to start to think more about what he doesn't, you know, all the stuff that he that people don't have relative to what he has. And this is an excellent opportunity to do that for myself um, as an adult, but also for, for a young child who's coming up in a world like, you know, where he has things. And so I might uh, actually use some of these volunteer opportunities maybe with him. I think it would be a great, great experience. So um, so for this episode, um, all of the links we talked about for Capital Roots will be available in the show notes. I also wanna thank real quick, Adam Claremont, the producer at Over at Studios. He's behind the TV here uh, for everything he did. If you were interested in anybody in learning more about these sorts of productions, you can go to overtstudios.com Thanks to the audience for tuning in for another episode. Please subscribe, listen, leave us a review so everyone out there can learn how to get over it in the face of all challenges we have in life. You just don't want to go into it. You want to learn how to get over it. And thank you, Amy, so much for coming on and telling us a little bit about your organization, how you're helping people get over it. So thank you so much for joining me today. (laughs) 